Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. We're going to pick up now in mid-conversation as we begin part two of our discussion of the Davidic Covenant. All right, um, I also have down here the first four verses of Psalm 89. I wouldn't call this, it's more like a remembrance of the promise. It's going to be a lot of the, the same uh, ideas there. Um, but it says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said loving kindness will be will be built up forever in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness i have made a covenant with my chosen i have sworn to david my servant i will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations so kind of another recapping of the the covenant there to david uh, and there's another one psalm 132 10 through 11 um that's similar we won't read that all right so Key points that I have down is unconditional uh, to David. There's nothing that David's going to have to do. There's no if-thens there that, like we see in the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, he promises to make uh, David's name great and that he'll have a house, a kingdom, or a throne. It's kind of talked about differently that will endure forever. Uh, the throne is representative of his kingship. Right. And it goes to people that's a house or a dynasty. I think that's right. all really the same same idea yeah. yeah um so anything you want to so i guess we could get to a point of disagreement so if god being eternal god um has always said on god's throne I would see David's throne as really needing a, a human in it, I guess a human in human form and um, like a physical throne. So I guess that's probably where we disagree at on the, the Davidic throne, whether Jesus is sitting on that now. Why don't you take a look at First Chronicles 29. First Chronicles 29. That comes after uh, Second Kings, yes, and before Second Chronicles. Before Second Chronicles. In fact, this is right before Second Chronicles. All right, well, let's see it. And they made what? Uh, what no, First Chronicles twenty nine. I'll start in twenty two. Twenty two. So this is the coronation of Solomon. Mm -hmm. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time. And they anointed him as prince for the Lord, and Zadok as priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king in place of David his father, and he prospered, and all Israel obeyed him. I believe that the types and shadows mean that you can blend the idea of God's throne and David's throne. And so... Once we get, I mean, if you go to Acts chapter 2, Acts 
I'll start in 42. No, that's a good part, but that's not relevant to this discussion. Um, I'll start in 22. It's going to be a, a little bit extended, but I think it's reading the Word of God. Right. You know, um, and this is Peter in his sermon at Pentecost. Um, I'm tempted to read the whole thing. Starting back up at 15 uh, yeah. or 14, we're not drunk. I'll start in 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So much for open theism. <clears throat> you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that verse. Mm -hmm. Death could not hold him. It was not possible. Ah, exciting. For David says concerning him, so here we have David a thousand years before Christ. Would you agree this is prophecy? Uh, probably, yeah. Let's. I, mean, I, I don't Peter want to paint to myself into a, that way, a right? corner, yeah. But, so. you, you, you can disagree with yourself later. <laughs> I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, prophecy, yep. and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." Yeah, I don't I don't catch any barbs there that would make it be that I mean obviously Christ is at the place of honor. He is the descendant. He is the the lord of my lord that that David's referring to. But in this passage Peter is tying his ascension to the promise to David that there would be one who sits on his throne and then immediately talks about Christ sitting on the throne. Well, if he died and never raised from the dead, how could he reign forever? Right, but David isn't sitting on the throne forever, right? Peter's making that Correct, point. Okay. right. But Christ is because, um, he one, he ties together the promise of the Davidic covenant to the resurrection of, and ascension of Christ. And then in 34, he says, David didn't ascend to the heavens, but Christ did. Mm -hmm. And Christ is the one sitting. Christ is the one who is currently seated 
on the throne of the Lord, which Solomon was coronated onto. So there's, there's here Christ is fulfilling as the reality the shadow that was given in the promise of the Davidic covenant. I mean, I can see how you would get there. I, d- I don't, that doesn't preclude a reign, a physical reign here on earth prior to, uh, you know, eternity. I mean, it doesn't preclude hamburgers raining out of the sky either, but. Well, but there aren't verses that talk about hamburgers raining, falling out of the sky. But there are, okay. Well, what I'm saying is, yeah, I don't, I won't, I don't think I would disagree with anything here. And if Christ had said, I, I wouldn't disagree with what you're bringing from the word. Obviously, I don't disagree with the word. I may not always understand the word, but I don't disagree with it. Um, if Christ had stayed in the grave, then the Davidic covenant couldn't be fulfilled. His ascension and his resurrection body as the first fruits of the dead, you know, those are what, and obviously that he's God, or what make him be the perfect ruler and the person who can sum up all these promises. All the promises are yes in Christ. So I, I, I don't disagree there. I don't, I don't, I don't see this as a knockout for, Pre-mill versus amill. You see what I'm saying? I, don't, I wouldn't read this and go, oh, it must be amill. Okay. I think it's ex- exceedingly clear that there's one throne that Christ sits on that we have been, according to Ephesians Well, in two, eternity, is he sitting on the same throne that is he sitting on now? Yes. Do you think Christ has a physical body right this second? I don't know about that. So I don't think he does. Where I don't think my mom go? has a physical body. Yeah, well, but Christ is in the resurrection. Yeah, so I know your favorite theologian and philosopher. William Lane Craig. William Lane Craig. <laughs> I mean, you. I think you must, you got to like him better than others. There's worse choices than William Lane Craig. I don't listen to a lot of Christian <laughs> philosophers, so he may be my favorite by, <laughs> you know, process of elimination. I, he's I, had you, a, you'd probably be my favorite because I know too. Okay, him and you. Uh, all right. And I don't uh, like him. <laughs> he has made this analogy for Christ and whether he has a body right now, and I found it helpful. He mentioned, he, like, there's not, so like if you take a tuning fork, and you bing, it's making that noise. It's of its nature to make that noise as long as it's in an environment that allows it to make that noise. If you take that tuning fork into space where there's no air particles and you, you know, tap it against something, it's still going to vibrate. Nothing has changed about the essential nature of that tuning fork, but it's not making the noise out in space because it's not in an environment that allows it to display that characteristic of it, even though it could still be binging out a 440 Hertz. He's made the same analogy for Christ. Christ is in heaven, he's always going to be from this point in time forward have a human nature. He's the first fruits of the dead. He has a resurrection body, but he's not in an environment that allows that physical body to be manifest. And as soon as he returns in a second coming, then he'll have his physical body. Now, I should have said that that was James White, and you'd have been like, "Yeah, I believe it." 
<laughs> no, I would have sniffed that one out. Uh, uh, I would have to think about that more, but that seems odd to me. And well, where is rest- Christ to? Because in order to have a physical body, you must have extension, which means there must be space with height and width and depth. You frequently make a lot of these must type of statements that are true here that I don't know are universally true. Well, and I can't give you, well, how does it exist outside? You know, like I I can't tell you how Christ can have a physical body in a spiritual realm. But, well, I'm not surprised because when I have this conversation with a lot of different Christians, they always kind of give me the, the same kind of, well, I thought, you know, it just seems very. There seems to be something very different in the Revelation about Christ or the Lamb in heaven from all of the rest of those who have died in Christ, who are there longing for their bodies, who are in a disembodied state, and we're they they are all looking forward to a resurrection of the body that Christ already has. I don't disagree. I I think... So I would say, to go back to the tuning fork analogy, my mom, there's something that my mom is lacking right now that Christ does not lack. And is her... She does not have her body right now. She's been torn from her body. That's part of the, you know, death, part of the curse of Adam, part of the future looking to resurrection. So I would agree that... There is a difference between Christ and all of the other saints who have passed away and who are looking forward to the day of resurrection. I just don't know how Christ displays his body in a spiritual realm, which is where I think he is right now. And even to say that he is there as if it has a location is still to bring in like physical terms when really there's no physical location for the spirit realm. So... That stuff makes my brain hurt a little bit because <laughs> it, it is so difficult to imagine something that doesn't exist physically. Right. That's not just like, I mean, I can imagine four, right? Mm-hmm. I know I know what four is, but it's an abstract concept. Christ is not an abstract He's concept. He's concrete, the so, most concrete. Right, but you know, you, you and I would argue that the Father is spirit. Correct. And that is why no one has ever seen him. Right. Um Though I do believe in the resurrection, we will have the ability to perceive God the Father. The beatific vision. Um, there's no you. What? You. There's no you in that. What? How is it? Beatific. Beatific. That's like. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um. Yeah, I, I just I I. I think it's over reading the Old Testament and not allowing the New Testament revelation to redefine for us what the throne is. Because I do think it's the throne that's promised to David. I do think it's the throne of God. And it existed as a type and shadow when it was David and Solomon's mm-hmm. throne. And now Christ has ascended to heaven. He has sat down. We are seated with him on it. And according to Revelation 20, in my interpretation... Those who have died in Christ are currently reigning with him in heaven. And then he will, at the conclusion of history, bring that reign to earth. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that other than I think he brings that to earth 
a thousand years prior to the conclusion of history. And it's almost like, well, it's the fulfillment in my mind, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, but it's also going to be like a last judgment on humanity because we're going to have Christ set up shop here on the earth. And then there's still going to be people who eventually try to, you know, overthrow him that rebel. And then there'll be this final, the final battle of battles that I've read about, uh, how Lindsay told me about it, <laughs> the showdown, although how I just joking. Cause Hal and I differ greatly on our eschatology. Okay. So serious question. Cause this, how does that happen? I don't know. No, this really bugs me. How does Christ reigning on earth in a resurrected body where he's literally here as King of Israel or the earth? Yes. Okay. How is there a rebellion? I don't know. That's 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 a good question. Because I think the because men are still evil. It just doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, I, yeah. So the Solomonic covenant. You have anything to say about that? Like I told you before, I think it's not really its own covenant. So do you think he had promises, like here and now promises? Solomon? Yeah. Distinct from the ones that were given to David in Second Samuel 7? Overlaid. Yeah, that's why. Like, yeah, to, yeah. to me, yeah, it's, yeah. they're all part of the same piece. Right. Um. Or, I mean, are you talking about, like, the vision that he has, dream, whatever you want to call it, where God... My people who are called by my name. Oh, that. Such a terrible misinterpretation of that verse. Yeah. Um, well, I think that there's... He's promised this father-son relationship. Um, we see... And then there's never... Uh, he'll never have a... Not have an heir on the throne, but it's conditional. So I kind of see it having this, a same type of relationship. For some reason, I don't know. I've never really considered that interaction between God and Solomon to rise to a covenant level. I just, that seems like, uh, we, we don't talk about like an Isaacic covenant um, or a Jacobic. I don't, I don't. I mean, there seems to be interactions right. between God and people where God makes promises, mm -hmm. but we don't tie that up into an official covenant. And so, I, I would say the thing with Solomon, maybe it's a covenant, but it it certainly doesn't strike me as wow. This is a hinge point in oh, history. I wouldn't make that point either. Yeah. I, it's it's. I tend to think of the covenants as being it's a minor the real markers. It's a minor covenant. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we had a jumbo edition, so maybe we'll split this one in into two and uh, look at the new new covenant next time. Unless it seems like you're looking like you have more to say. Just okay. So, more questions. Christ comes back. Yeah. And sets up a literal physical kingdom from Jerusalem. Yeah. And he's sitting on a literal physical throne. Yes. At the end of a thousand years, 
there's a rebellion. You have Armageddon somehow. And then final judgment, all of that. People are consigned to hell or brought into heaven. That's the second resurrection, the resurrection of the dead. Okay. The sea gives up its dead. The earth gives up its dead. Right. Um, does Christ stay on the same physical throne? Well. Or does the new Jerusalem have a different physical throne? And do you see New Jerusalem as a physical representation? So I, I will preface all this by saying, I'm not that, trying to be no, no, with no, this, no. I, I just though, I have some beliefs that I've held. Well, let me say, at one point in time, when I was younger, there was a lot more that was nailed down. Um. And I've probably forgotten more than what I knew at that point in time of, you know, what each seal was and stuff and each bowl and each trumpet. Um, and I've backed away a lot from that. Largely because I read Revelation and I, there's, you know, we've made the joke like if you get a thousand theologians, there's 2,000 interpretations. Well, for Revelation, there's probably more than that. <laughs> so the, I don't know. I guess I say my current position is there's a lot of the small parts that I don't know that we'll know for sure until we see it happen. And so I'd, some of the minor questions I might have a guess at it, but it I haven't studied Revelation enough in this newer context of my eschatology that I would be able to, you know, cite verse like this is why I believe this is the new Jerusalem and why it's, um, and so there's this is probably an area where I could, you know, study up. I know that there are some passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah that are also tend to be looked at by dispensationalists as the the millennial reign. I've read those briefly. I haven't studied those, and I was like, uh, maybe. Maybe not. I'm not sure. There seems to be things that, um, like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, the, this verse doesn't make sense. So I don't know. I guess I'm saying all this rambling. Is, I don't know that figuring out prophecy is a tidy business, especially when we're on this side of the prophecy. I do think based on – I don't know – and I could be wrong. Obviously. Well, but clearly Revelation four one is the rapture, right? I was taught that as a young guy, and I was like, "Well, I, the rapture was always weird to me." And then, man, that one preacher though that we were talking about, right? If you're not a pre mill, pre mill, was he post trib? Pre pre mill pre trib, then you're a heretic, is what he said. So listen to going to throw you out of the church. Yeah. So we're, we're talking about a pastor that James White played on his most recent radio free Geneva at the end. So, but um, about July 20th, I think. Yeah. So um, I don't think it's, it's tidy and, um, but there are certain things that I hold on to because I, I see them as, promises in scripture so i see this physical reign 
of David's descendant, not in the eschaton, but in the here and now, I I personally see that as needed in order for that promise to be filled, fulfilled. I could be wrong. God may be saying, no, you, you misunderstood that. And I, I'm, I don't think that that's, if I'm wrong, I don't think that's going to be a huge miss out for me on that particular thing. You're not going to be disappointed when you figured that out. <laughs> uh, okay. We're going, so let's just go. Um, the first resurrection is what? The first resurrection is, so all of the passages that my friends, both here and back in Arkansas, who would read and say, oh, there's the rapture, that's the first resurrection. It's the resurrection of the living. It's Christ's return to earth. When the trump sounds, those who are dead in Christ rise. They are forever changed. Um, they meet him with the air, in the air. Those of us who remain so shall we be like them and meet them in there and forever reign with Christ. So you see that, I think you see hints of that. And I, I could pull it up uh, if you want me to, like in Matthew 24, 25, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Revelation 19 or 20. So those are all places where, I, where we see mentions of the resurrection with some detail. Obviously, the resurrection itself in general is talked about in the Old Testament. <clears throat> okay. Your mom's passed away. Yes. You believe she's alive? Yes. Has she been resurrected? No. In Revelation 20, the first resurrection is described as a coming to life. That only describes her restoration with her body? Well, I think she's free from sin now. She's not sinning in the presence of the Lord. Um, so where's that at? Uh, Revelation 20, verse 4. Let me just read the passage in the context. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. We need to do an episode on that. Well, I'm not getting chipped and I can tell you that. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Yeah, I would say that there were, I mean, how I read that, and you may have, obviously probably have different, is that her body's dead. Her, her... Her body is buried in the ground. Um, and so that will be, in some sense, revivified, remade, and be made into a new type of thing, a new substance, um, and glorified. Whereas the those who are not in Christ, their bodies will remain dead until the second resurrection. So this is what, I guess we could say, I'll just do a plug for unity. Because we can agree to disagree. 
the, I mean, I don't think either one of us are. I'm, I'm about to throw you out of the kingdom. <laughs> I'm going to get my chewing tobacco and stuff out of the truck. and Yeah. Um, so there's, uh, I think lots of times we see people like going full guns blazing on the, unless you're trying to defeat open theism, it's probably not needed. <laughs> um, so because we do know that open theism is a hard heresy, the hard open theism, I believe is a heresy. Yes. Well, that's what I said. Not knowing knowledgeable open theism. Well, I'm, I, so the yeah, so just to open this can of worms again, <laughs> I don't think soft open theism is a heresy, and that would be the one that's defined that God has like certain waypoints that He's secured, and then He allows. I don't know how that works. It doesn't make sense to me. It's all wrong. I don't. I think someone could believe that and still be in the kingdom, still be a believer. Do you think the guy that we're talking about from today absolutely could not be a he's, believer? If he's a believer, he's a very confused, and hopefully, he gets some good discipleship where he can. Uh, he's very confused on the nature of who God is and who man is. I will say that for sure. And I would, if I, if my son or daughter were in that position, I would be concerned about them. I'll say that. Okay. Because he seemed to be a very hard open theist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just kind of both shaking our heads <laughs> if you're only listening along. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, another podcast, two podcasts, really. So you're going to hear this How long once. have we been going? Well, for quite a bit, actually. Could uh, it be three? Not unless they're three small ones. Okay. Three 20 minute ones. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. So we'll get two out of this and uh, come back with another two or three for the new covenant. Oh, yeah. At least. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so much there to talk about. Yeah. You know, I I think we, when we get to that, we should talk about a lot more than just how we maybe disagree on it. Yeah, I think we did that with the Davidic Covenant, too. Some, but I, I think there's even more rich material with the New Covenant. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. Think well. Walk humbly. Love mercy. Do justice. Bye. Thanks. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology.